Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on fast, intense volatility in the energy markets. WTI rising nearly to nearly $120 a barrel before sliding late in the day and reports that OPEC could suspend Russia from its production deal. The crude realities for energy and the impact on the market straight ahead. Plus, bouncing off the bottom, shares of Netflix rising nearly 20% since cratering earlier this month. We'll play a little trade it or fade it with the streamer and some of the other stocks that may be flowers out there. And later, biotech blues, the sector slumping today, getting slammed so far this year. Is this the right time to bet on biotech, or are these stocks still too sick for your money? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Bono and Eisen. We start off with that late-day sell-off in oil prices. WTI crude hitting its highest level since March 9th before pulling back sharply around 2 p.m. But even with that move, oil was up nearly 10 percent in the month of May. It's sixth straight month of gains. That is crude's longest winning streak since 2011. So is there any relief in sight for energy prices? What will it mean for the markets? Tim. I, I think there's some relief for energy prices, but I think you have a dynamic here where there's very little spare capacity within OPEC. So the conversation today is around Russia, uh, whether they will be allowed to continue to participate in the OPEC plus dynamic, which was actually very good for and constructive for oil prices. In other words, if you wanted higher oil prices, the fact that OPEC, OPEC plus over the last three years actually has had their you know what together and have had the ability to actually control production. I actually think in an environment without Russia, Saudi has swing, uh, UAE some, there is a, a question about how much swing capacity. So ultimately, look, for markets, it was a May where the S&P actually eked out a small gain despite incredible volatility in the month, three days of down 3 uh, percent. And, and energy was up 10%. I think what markets really want to see is what we're starting to see in other parts of the commodity complex, certainly in the softs and in the ags. We've had wheat and, and, and even corn down aggressively today and over the last month. That's the dynamic. That's what equities want to see. Of course, that puts more pressure on the Fed on some level. When the equity market gets going, it's very circular. Yeah. Um, Karen, you're saying that at the beginning of, of May, if you had left mm-hmm. and then you came back today, not much would have happened. Nothing nothing happened. The 10-year moved like, I don't know, nine basis points. The market moved less than 1%. And oh my God, in the middle, though, you could have made and lost a ton of money, probably a few times, actually, if you've been playing it right. But it's just, you know, the market's so reactionary right now. We get the tiniest bit of data and then we sort of blow it up into, you know, that's what we do here. Right. That's our show. We like to. Yeah. Um, So, I mean... I think to Tim's point, maybe we are seeing uh, as commodities roll over, maybe that's peak inflation is behind us. And we know the the Fed has been very aggressive. So one could make a case that the we know the Fed's aggressive. So that's already priced in. And if that if that is successful in bringing inflation down, then then maybe there's a soft ish kind of landing. And that's, I guess, the the bright spot for the market. So. That's possible. Anything's possible, though. And it's interesting to me that the markets are just so jumpy that we extrapolate anything a lot. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, to Tim's point, though, I mean, it's sort of glass half full, glass half empty when it comes to the markets. We're celebrating the fact that the markets have found it look like they have found some footing. Right. We're sort of flat uh, on the month for May, Bonoin. But in the end, you really do need to see a market pullback in order to believe that the Fed, what the Fed is doing is working. And the Fed, because that is going to be one of the byproducts of this battle against inflation. That's going to be some pullback in the markets. I mean, ultimately, you know, what the Fed is trying to achieve is uh, um, a degree of demand destruction. And we can debate what degree or to what degree that varies. But that's ultimately uh, the goal there. I mean, inflation, employment, those things are are clearly top of mind. But if you kind of like read through, and this is my attempt to read through the tea leaves, that's ultimately what they're trying to accomplish. And that's going to come in two ways, either through the housing market or through uh, 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 risk assets. And so I think when you started to see that pullback, I think there was some read through probably from those that are a bit more constructive than myself, that, okay, what the Fed is intending on doing is working. And so the likelihood of them needing to ratchet up additional additional measures is likely lower. This bounce back kind of puts us in a bit of no man's land. Is it working? Is it not? Um, You know, is this rally really sustainable or is this just us taking a a breath before we, we have a leg lower? You know, the VIX being in the mid 20s, that 20 to 30 range has kind of been we, where we are. And that 25, 26 reading that I think we closed out today kind of tells you, I don't think people really know whether to make heads or tails of it. I said it before, I'll say it again. You know, I think that we're likely headed lower. But I do think this pause is good so that, you know, these oversold, high, short interest type of names can get a breather and people can kind of make uh, heads and tails of, of how they want to deploy capital going forward. What do you do, Grasso, in this no man's land? Especially, I mean, you are Mr. Recession, so you believe that the worst is still yet to come. Um, what, what happens between now and then, and, and what, sh- what should you do with your portfolio? So, so to pick uh, up on where Bono and left off, I think the market can rally. Uh, this is what I said on Friday. I think we can go up another 200 handles and confuse every market participant that's playing in the market right now. Having said that, to pick up where Tim's left, Tim left off, mm-hmm. we've seen wheat, we've seen lumber, we've seen corn all trade back down, right? So now, just think about it. Lumber went from 1450, 1477 to be exact, to 650. What does that mean for oil? That means that oil is trading off of one thing and one thing only, Ukraine, Russia. We also have the midterm elections coming up, which means that President Biden will have to figure out some way to kick oil to the curb. Oil's going lower, commodities are going lower, market's probably going higher, and then it's going to back up again. Um, I would think that I'm still sticking with my 3,800 as the line in the sand for the market to prove itself. That's my barometer for the overall S&P. It's crazy, though. The S&P, you're right. I mean, we've done 8.5% on the S&P from those intraday lows Mm -hmm. the previous Friday. And, and this isn't making the Fed's job any easier right now. By the way, interesting, you know, you talk about uh, elections, Steve, also. You, you had Powell at the White House today. You had Biden trying to distance himself from as much inflation. He, going out of his way to saying, our Fed is independent. I have nothing to do with this, unlike his predecessor, who was... It was just a very interesting day in terms of the theater around inflation and politics. Um, and ultimately, you know, what, again, I think the markets want to see, Karen was saying this, risk assets will rally if we feel we, have at, we are at peak inflation. Mm-hmm. We have 
a payroll number on Friday that's going to show year-over-year wage growth of 5.5%, which is going to tell you that, if anything, the worst part of inflation hasn't really fed in, I don't think, into the system yet. Yeah. I think it's going to be tough to get rid of that. Um, not only that, I mean, the, the op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that President Biden penned, first, the Fed has a primary responsibility to control inflation. Right. Good luck, Mr. Powell, controlling inflation. <laughs> if only it were that easy that Jerome Powell could wave his wand, hike rates, and inflation would go away. Because ultimately, the sanctions on Russian oil, even if there were a ceasefire tomorrow, what do you think the likelihood of those barrels coming back onto market, being accepted by the U.S., being accepted by the, by the EU, what, does that happen? Probably not. So then how do we interpret that in terms of the consumer? Because what we're seeing right now, it's a shock to the consumer. But imagine this shock going on for months. Right. And how could, I mean, well, if it goes on for months, I think then we do go into a recession. That stagflation scenario is really a terrible one. That's one that we really want to avoid. But I think that we are seeing a lot of pressure on housing prices. So that's one thing that's coming down. I, I think the oil, the oil I don't think is coming down anytime soon because we do seem to be in this Longer term, we want to produce more oil, and that takes time. And so until that and China's happens, reopening, right. too. And, and we, China, we that's big. big. PMI right. numbers out of China this morning. We got some sense Shanghai's reopened. That, that is not helping the oil construct in terms of demand, for sure. Right. So the global economy may, may look better in some sense because China is no longer shut down. But the flip side of it, Bonoin, is that energy prices, commodity prices will go higher because demand is coming back online. Uh, certainly. I, I really couldn't have said it any better. I think um, looking towards the positive side of the coin is that the China reopening should help abate some inflationary pressures that we're seeing from the supply side. But I don't expect that to really be positively affected in terms of demand for commodity or goods, generally speaking. So it's really going to be where those two kind of find an uh, equilibrium. And that will kind of lead us to uh, a bit more clarity on the path forward. We've talked a lot about earnings estimates and, and how Earnings estimates may not have had may not have come down enough to reflect some of these macro uncertainties. And we had um, some downgrades today, estimates and price target revisions lower on Internet names from Jefferies. And, and so, Steve, I'm wondering if you think this is sort of I don't want to say the beginning because there are other analysts who have been at this. But but sort of we're, we're getting more and more indications that Wall Street's coming to grips with what is going on out there. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, Wall Street, we're, we're all kind of late to the dance. So either you have an idea and a premise you stick with it. But a lot of times, by the time we get to a, a consensus, we're all wrong. So I, I and, and I don't want to be, uh, you know, you know, too negative on, on the group, but that's usually where it is when everyone's moving to the same side of the boat. I will tell you that most people are still buying dips. Most people are still thinking about when is tech going to resurrect again? And how long can I ride energy out? So I think until that way of thinking stops, you're going to have a market that probably has these sucker rallies where we rally another 100, 200 handles, everyone gets their head chopped off, and then we're back down to that bear market again, unfortunately. All right, let's get more on the markets with Wall Street's biggest bear, definitely one who <laughs> is against consensus. Uh, Mike Wilson is Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist and CIO. Although you're getting more company day after day, Mike, you think that we're in the middle of a bear market rally. We could actually see 5% higher here. Um, 3,900, though, is your end target. What does it look like from now to end of year? Yeah, thanks, Melissa. It's good to see you all. And yeah, I mean, the crowd is moving in the right direction. Um, and that is, I would say, a necessary condition for a bottom, but not sufficient. 
And what I mean by that is, you know, the, the market is forward thinking. And so, you know, valuations have come down in anticipation of two things, the Fed hiking and then, of course, earnings revisions to the downside. I think, you know, our, our bearish call this year, people agreed with the, the Fed part of it, but we're really uh, pretty adamantly opposed to earnings risk. And I'd say the biggest change in the last six weeks is that now more clients are coming into the view that earnings got to come down. So this is the cat and mouse game. Multiples will will lead again. So, yes, I'm very much in the camp that this rally will fade, you know, 4,200, maybe 4,300 if it can, you know, go a couple more weeks. But fair value is about 3,800, which means in order to give me some upside, I've got to see a trade below that. And that's why we think we will trade sort of 34, 3,500 sometime in the third quarter. And then we would we would get aggressive at that level to, to be adding to risk. But, you know, right here, the risk reward is, is poor. It's obviously worse than it was two weeks ago after this rally. Hey, Mike, it's Karen. Thanks so much for being on. So when you talk about earnings will fade, do you think that some of the high flyer ones versus some of the more value ones have more risk? Or have we seen with that big move down, is, is, is there an equal amount of risk? Yeah, no, that's the right way to think about it, Karen. I think it's actually almost name by name. So it's not value versus growth or, you know, tech versus banks or anything like that. I mean, look, we, we over-earned during the uh, pandemic, right? Companies benefited from the stimulus and having lower costs. So I think we have an over-earning issue kind of across the entire market, and, and we need to see numbers come down. Where is it most acute? Probably consumer discretionary. Well, the good news is we're seeing some of that come down. Technology still is an area of over-earning. Um, so it has nothing to do with valuations. It's just that technology companies were probably one of the biggest benefits of work from home and so that's where the earnings risk is probably the greatest. But it's pretty broad. I mean, I could see it across a lot of sectors. Hey, Mike, it's Tim. Uh, yeah, semis are up 6% last month. So if anything, you know, some of the most cyclical stuff actually has had a pretty decent rally. But I'd like to ask you about just the retail factor and flows. And some part of your job is at least to understand where positioning is. Um, we had $80 billion come in through retail investors in the last three months. The same as the $80 billion that more or less came in the three, the three previous months. As awful as it's felt... We actually haven't seen it. And that's actually bearish to me. We haven't seen any reversal of some of these flows. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I agree with that, Tim. We, you know, we've been writing about this quite a bit with help from some of our, from our colleagues uh, in the trading platform, basically suggesting what you just said, which is effectively, you know, the asset uh, manager community, the active traders, you know, they've de-risked quite a bit. But the asset owner community, including uh, retail and, you know, uh, uh, individuals, you know, that community has not sold yet. And let's not forget they put in over a trillion dollars in 2021 post the vaccine. So absolutely, uh, we think we will see that group uh, fade and, and distribute stock and, and take some profits and, and, and hunker down a bit when the numbers come down. And that has, you know, that will, that will, that's the part I think that people will be fooled on because sentiment is bearish, but we haven't seen the negative flows yet from the asset owner community. How should we think about valuations, Mike? A lot of people out there, uh, you know, they, they will cite a benchmark S&P forward P.E. ratio of what, 16 is something like the historic. But should we think about that as being a benchmark in that maybe we swung too far to the upside when times were good and we should be expecting a swing to the downside on the other side? Evaluation is always uh, tricky. So we have a framework that tries to incorporate both rates and then an equity risk premium because then you can say, OK, which side of this is out of whack? And right now, I mean, obviously rates have gone up a lot this year, but we think rates are sort of fair at 275, 285, given what the Fed's doing, where the economy is. 
where we think stocks are too expensive is in the equity risk premium. Today, you know, today after the rally last week or so, we're back below 300 basis points on an equity risk premium. We're at 285, and our fair value uh, market uh, sort of market multiple would, would imply uh, 350 on equity risk premium, which would take your multiple down below 16 times. And I would argue, quite frankly, that if you know, given the risk in you know geopolitics and the economy, there's a potential you know recession next year. The equity risk premium should probably be closer to 400. And that would that would mean 14, 14 and a half times, which is basically the overshoot we need to get you to 34, 3500. So we're we're pretty disciplined in that. But you know, I'm not going to lie to anyone. I'm not going to pretend that we have pre- precision on it. But that's the framework that you know tells us it's the risk rewards poor. Mike, it's great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley. Um, Bono, and that means a, a haircut for a lot of stocks across the board, even the ones that you think are defensive. None are at four. I mean, not I won't say none. Not many are fourteen right now. Forward. Uh, no, uh, aside from the builders, and I think there's macroeconomic risk there. I think um, we said it a few times. A few of the panelists have kind of mentioned, uh, and you've had some guests mention that uh, you know the home builders are trading in low single digits. Some of the banks are trading in uh, high single digits. I think there are pockets. You know, I mentioned Pfizer last week. That's trading around like a, a nine and a half or ten. I think there are distinct names, like you said, it's on a name by name basis where you are below that that long term average type of forward multiple. Um, but yes, generally speaking, I think that we're, we're just going to come down, both in terms of further multiple compression, where it's 17 and a half times, he's mentioning perhaps 14 or 15 times, and then in terms of the actual earnings that, that come to fruit. So um, yeah, I, I think uh, low single digits, mid single digits, I think you're relatively safe there, but I think there's probably downside risk across the board. How do you process mm-hmm. that, Karen? I mean, in terms of your holdings of Meta, of Alphabet, all of them are trading above 14. I think Meta's closest to 16 forward. Uh-huh. Um, so just doing the math roughly, it gets 15 and three quarters, I thought of what he was saying. If we're at 285 plus the 350 um, risk premium, right. that gets me to about 15 and three quarters. Uh, I just think, you know, some companies aren't going to be there. On average, they will. But I think companies with the kind of moat that they have and the business they have, with the margins they have, and the cash, if you back out the cash, they're in fact cheaper. Mm-hmm. Probably Alphabet, not uh, Meta, yes. So for all that, I'm hanging on to them. Yeah. I, think, mm-hmm. I think you're getting opportunities to trade the mega cap techs, and I think that's what you should be doing here. Look at Amazon, up 5%, up 20% in five days. I, I, we have this stock split dynamic, I think, which um, but again, a company that, it, relative to itself, not crazy expensive. That's the problem. My big problem is I need to see Apple at 125. All right, coming up. We're all over the after hours action. Salesforce, the stock is jumping after reporting results. We're bringing the numbers next, plus April showers bring Stock flowers. We are digging into the names that bloomed in the month of Ooh, May. So could these lovely. names be a green thumb for your portfolio? The details ahead. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Salesforce shares jumping after the company beat on the top of the bottom lines. Frank Holland joins us now with more on the quarter. Frank. Hey there, Melissa. Uh, the street responding well to the cash that Salesforce has, both free cash flow and cash from operations well above estimates. Current remaining performance obligation not shown here, but that's money expected from customers within the next 12 months. Also in line with estimates. Call started just a few minutes ago at 5 o'clock. Actually, shares rising during the call. CEO Mark Benioff highlighting how the strengthening dollar hit revenue guidance, stock rising despite mixed guidance for EPS, uh, guidance light for Q2, but above estimates for the full year when it comes to EPS, revenues for next quarter and the full year. They both missed estimates slightly, but investors appear to be giving some grace for the dollar impact. Big question for all cloud stocks and Salesforce. Interest rate pressure, the 10-year yield appearing to hit resistance at 3%, has slowed the downturn for Salesforce and other cloud stocks. Salesforce, 48% off of its high. J.P. Morgan out with a note recently calling it too cheap to ignore. CEO Mark Benioff is going to appear on Mad Money later tonight to discuss the results. Back over to you. Frank, thank you. Frank Holland, up 8% after hours. Is this too cheap to ignore, Grasso? How do you account for this 8% move? Yeah, so when I look at the chart, I look at the pre-pandemic levels and the, and the uh, pandemic low. This one stopped on a dime right at that 50% retracement. I think most technicians are giving you the benefit of the doubt. But when you look at the competitors, it has not performed on a stock basis anywhere close to the rest of the space, with some exceptions. I, I wouldn't be here just yet, but technically I think you can get a further bounce. I had the privilege of hosting the Fast Money Halftime Report oh. today and speaking to the investment committee there. Mm-hmm. And a couple of those members, Bonoin, said that Salesforce was starting to look very interesting. That'd be Joe Turnover and Stephanie Link. What do you think? Um, I mean, six times price of sales, 34 times forward PE. I think uh, those are relatively compelling. I just don't think that we should necessarily be comparing where it is now versus where it was during the covid the pull forward there, the demand there. Um, and then if you notice, even though you know, uh, 2023 EPS was guided higher, there was some look through there where they guided lower in the next uh, couple of sequential quarters. I personally am discounting everything a year out. I, don't, I think you know, if Walmart, Target, Snap gave you any indication, I think some of these corporate execs have a hard time telling you what's going to happen in the next three to six months. So I think there's a situation where like the sentiment had got extremely bearish, but I'm not really in the practice of trying to pick lows on things. And so I would like to see some continuation before I get involved. If the risk reward is that I literally have to try to pick the low and catch it on the way down in order for me to get some upside appreciation, those are just going to be trades that I'm willing to miss. Grasso, you're waving your hand. So you either have a comment or you're trying to get the attention of a waiter. Yes, it's, it's actually both. So I had a comment for the waiter. So the, uh, I just want to clarify that when I'm not looking at the pull forward, 
on, on the COVID high. I'm looking at the February level or January level pre-COVID sell-off and the COVID sell-off. So that's what I'm looking at for that Fibonacci retracement. I'm not talking about those, you know, doubling of prices on, on the COVID pull forward, just, just as a, uh, just, just, to, just to clarify what I was saying. Because well, Bono would comment that I'm mine. Mm-hmm. No, I, and I hear you, Steve. And the, in terms of the charts, though, Salesforce has underperformed this rally back. And talk about, like, the poster child for what the market was selling off. Meanwhile, they've grown almost 20 percent, 24 percent in constant currency over, you know, since 2016. Um, what they're telling you, though, is that the enterprise strength is still there. And, and so and this is also a company that I think, you know, they told you last month that they're starting to slow hiring. They're starting to you know, ease travel expenses. They're playing the right game. I mean, I, this is a great company. This is a company that's not cheap. And certainly in the market, we're in not cheap. Um, but I think you get opportunities to trade these. And I think this one can go a bit higher. Just quick. Are you still yep. short IGV? I am short IGV. Okay. And this is part of it. So yep. be a positive to it tomorrow. All right. Um, we're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Flower Power. April showers in the market brought May flowers for a handful of stocks. So is it time to take root in these names? Or will they be a thorn in the side of your portfolio? Plus, chip rip. AMD shares surging this month. But can the climb continue? We're plugging into the options pits next to find out. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Fast Money. The S&P managing to eke out a gain in May, just the second month of the year it's been up. But a few names were able to far outperform outperform the benchmark index. FedEx up 13% for the month. It's best monthly gain since October of 1980. J.P. Morgan and Netflix also rising this month. So will these stocks be able to continue these runs? It's time for America's favorite game. It sounds like a lead up to a game. That's right. It's a game. Trade it or fade it. All right. So first up, J.P. Morgan. It is up nearly 11 percent in May. I will go to Karen. I'm sure the suspense Mm -hmm. is just Mm. racking our viewers. Trade it or fade it? I'm going to trade it. Which, you know, is obvious because of Jamie and whatnot. But I don't look at it as how much it was up in May. I look at it how badly it did going into that, right? So to me, that earnings release was really important. We come back to valuation always. And so, you know, at 11 and change times earnings, now banks always trade lower than the market multiple. But a 3% yield, I'd like that call. I think that we could see higher net interest margin that is even priced in. For all those reasons, I'm long. Steve, I know you're also a big fan of Jamie Dimon, maybe for other reasons, but uh, what would you do with this stock? Trade it or fade it? I, I do like Jamie Dimon. I would be a fader of this stock. And 
Uh, recent, I should say back to January, it's made a series of lower lows, lower highs. You can make the case that in the last couple of days it actually broke out of that downward trend line. But if I think we're going to the recession, less loan demand, less activity for banks, it, it, it's, it wouldn't be consistent if I was a trader of J.P. Morgan if I think the economy is going to have less growth going forward. So I'm a fader. All right, moving on to Netflix. Up 4% in May. So, Bonoin, what do you think? Uh, I'm fading this one. And I realize this is probably the cheapest you've had the opportunity to buy this stock, uh, arguably, ever. I think around 70 times forward and two and a half, three times price to sales. I just don't see the, a compelling reason, technically, below 50, below 20, a uh, day moving averages as are, to put money to work now and try to catch this falling knife. You know, their new uh, ad model is coming in a declining ad type of spin situation. I just don't see the reason to, de- to deploy capital. And in fact, I may regret that. Tim. Well, I, I, re- I regret buying it after the first <laughs> earnings downgrade. Um, so I'm in it for half of this, uh, you know, th- this hickey. And I, I tell you what, there's a shareholder meeting this week. I do think we're going to get a little bit more insight into the plan. It's not time for a massive overhaul. overhaul. It is time to, to figure out subs. Uh, the ad model, we want to hear more about it. But again, this is a company whose growth was not supposed to be linear. Uh, it clearly has not. We'll see what happens. Let's get to FedEx. That was up 13% in May. Steve, trade it or fade it? So, you know, this is going to be consistent with my J.P. Morgan analysis, too. This one actually has not broken out of a declining trend line. So I think you're going to see lower prices, even, even with the pop that you've most recently stated. And, and for me, I would think that you want to be a seller of transports if you think the economy is going to be fading. So and if you're Mr. Recession. I yeah, mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, all things yes. follow from, from that core <laughs> principle for Grasso, clearly. Uh, Karen, what do you say? Well, I'm starting to see a pattern with Grasso and me. Um, but I, you know, I'm long, so that makes me a traded by definition. I think, you know, we, we have a pretty low multiple here, as we've had for some time, but. Uh, FedEx has had fits and starts where they seem to be getting their act together operationally, and I'm optimistic they will continue to do so. And I think the environment is not bad for them as we have reopened and they do more business deliveries. That's better, higher margin for them. They do have pricing power. They are in somewhat of a, uh, it's not a, an oligopoly, call it. And that's not a bad place to be. So for all those reasons, I'm long. Last but not least, the TAN solar ETF up nearly 11% in May. Tim, what do you say? Trade it or fade it? Uh, first of all, I apologize. I didn't play the game right. I didn't say trade it or fade it on the first one. I'm going to fade this one. Let me get right out there. I, I'm not a big believer in solar's ability to actually hold the line much in the way I think the energy space is. Uh, I don't need to own this. There's a couple names in this ETF. Uh, Sunrun, I think, is one where they have a margin increase. Uh, but I'm not chasing solar here. Bonoin? Yeah, I'm on the same team. Uh, I'm fading this one as well. And this is actually something that I'm more constructive on long term in terms of a thematic uh, play. But the average Ford PE in this thing is around 33, 35 times. And that's just not the type of name that I want to be in. And keeping in mind, that's the average. There are names that are 70s approaching triple digits. I just don't think that's the type of space that I want to be deploying capital in. And this Can we have an official review on something here, Mel? Because something I'm just gonna, happened. I just reviewed the tape. We put it up a trade it, but bottom line meant fade yeah. it. So there's a big d- Thank you. Oh, thank you. Fade it. Longer-term believer, but right now... It's nice it's when the refs can fault. huddle up and get the, get but, the call yeah, right. It's the instant replay that really today. does it. It's technology today. Just force it on me. Force it on me. I own it. <laughs> 
Coming up, <laughs> the fintech fight. Top players in the space clawing back from a rough first half of the year. So who is going to come out on top? The details ahead. But first, a semi-surge. AMD ripping higher this month, up more than 19%. So we're taking a look into the options pit to see if traders are betting on more gains ahead. Fast Money's back right after this. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out AMD dipping into the red today, but closing on May, more than 19% higher. The name was this month's best performing chip stock in the S&P, and options traders are betting June might be another hot month for it. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Yeah, AMD typically one of the busier single stock options that we see. It was again today. It was the fourth busiest. We saw calls outpacing puts by about one and a half to one. And the busiest were the 105 strike calls that expire at the end of this week. We saw 63,000 of those trade for about $1.70 a piece. That also included both retail and institutional flow. Some of that included blocks of as much as 3,000 contracts. Those traded for about $1.60. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the bump that we saw today actually could continue, and we'll see the stock at least 5% higher by the end of the week. What do you think, Tim? I tell you, if you look at that chart, you, you could almost still draw a downtrend line that you need to get through 110. But, you know, this is a stock that uh, on next year's numbers, we're talking about 22 times. This is a stock that relative to its peer group, I think, has better growth. This is a stock that uh, I, I think in this environment, I don't think I need to chase, but there, there's the kind of a rally in the stock that we've seen in other semis is the kind of rally that I think you still could get some life in. Yeah. Bonowin? Yeah. I mean, I, I also see some uh, I, I see that same downtrend line. That $100 level has been short term resistance that it's double top there and it's starting to break through there. So a short term 5 percent pop seems to be continuing to play the current trend. I would also play it through options as opposed to holding the cash. All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Co. for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, a couple, a couple of beaten down fintechs have been trying to stage a comeback in the last month, but it is not a case of a rising tide lifts all boats. The names you should be watching next, plus a biotech breakdown, the group losing nearly half its value over the past year. But could there be some bright spots worth scooping up? The details ahead. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Call it a tale of two fintech stocks, SoFi surging more than 20% in May, while Coinbase has lost more than 30% of its value. But they weren't the only big movers. Kate Rooney joins us now with the winners and losers and how the rest of the year could be setting up for the space. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Fintech not having a great year so far, but there were a couple outperformers as we close out the month of May. SoFi was the big winner. Robinhood eked out about a 2% gain in May. Doesn't sound like much, but it's a lot better and some of the other fintechs. You got Coinbase, Block, PayPal, Affirm, all ending the month negative. Affirm this morning was looking like it was headed for a gain. Not the case, though. For the month, it did see a loss in May, and it's down more than 71% year to date. JMP Securities is among the Wall Street firms doing some bargain hunting in the sector. They looked at net cash relative to market cap. Top of that list, you've got Root, followed by Robinhood and Backed. And plenty of headwinds out there still for the sector, but JMP calls it a good starting point for value. Companies with more cash tend to be in a better position to go on offense with spending or M&A in a downturn. They also rank the most attractive valuations based on earnings projections, calling out names like Curo, that's a consumer finance company, 
NerdWallet, Upstart, LendingTree, and Rocket all expected to see double-digits earnings growth while shares are still in the red year-to-date. And finally, guys, short interest. Upstart, Lemonade, SoFi topping that list. If sentiment changes, the shorts may have to run to cover their positions, which JMP says could pour fuel on a rally. Melissa, back to you. Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney. Um, I like the earnings growth metric, uh, Steve Grosso, because... What? Do we know what, what, what earnings, what earnings are going to look like? I mean, we were just talking about what earnings estimates should be and how we don't really have a good handle on that, particularly for a space like this that includes the likes yeah. of mortgage lenders. Yeah, 100%. And when, specifically with SoFi, SoFi, all of these companies have been painted with the same brush. If you're a growth company, you don't have any earnings or or. If, if your earnings are going, your cost of capital is going to increase. But you know what's interesting? If you look at PayPal, PayPal's down 55% year to date. That's one with deep pockets. So it, it's almost as if they don't like the space as a whole and not just where you are on the market cap scale. But I would still be a buyer of SoFi just on a technical basis. This thing is way, way oversold still. To me, SoFi, it's come in a lot for sure, but I still think that that disconnect between old line banks that make money and get a very low P.E. and, you know, a new bank or a, or a SoFi or lots of others um, have just a wildly different set of metrics that ultimately I don't understand how that that discrepancy can maintain that kind of giant so are, chasm. Are, so, so the old-time banks are cheap, or are these stocks I think both. expensive? I think both. Yeah, well, I, I agree. And, you know, SoFi uh, has three things going against it, and, and it's, I think, a, probably a, a very well-run company. I want to be careful, because I, I, I just think the dynamics are, it's still a consumer credit company on some level to me. Um, it's a high multiple stock and a high multiple bloodbath, and it was a SPAC. Um, and if you think about what went on, there was just people out there shorting SPACs. So some of this actually could be, uh, you know, once you've worked through that, there, there may be, you know, this is essentially short interest in this name that I think could start to unwind. A lot of these names were coined innovation stocks, Bono, and, and then, you know, years later, and particularly after the stocks have declined a lot, you, <laughs> people want to take that moniker back. Yeah, innovation, SPAC. I mean, but all those, all of those are reasons why. Listen, when you're when you're setting up a screen of names that you're going to filter out and then do deeper due diligence on, this SoFi specifically is one of those names that hits so many of those screens where you would establish a short position. And I remember this was a final trade of mine a few weeks back, maybe about a month back. And I thought that it had already declined about 50% and then came out like the Biden news in terms of whether or not there would be an extension of the moratorium and whether there would be a certain amount of loan forgiveness. And I didn't think that that was new news. And the reason why I thought this had like a, a, a potential for a short-term pop was because it seemed like what had already been priced in was continuing to be uh, uh, ratcheted down on the name. So like Tim has mentioned, I think there are trading opportunities in names like that. I think this is kind of a poster child for one of those names that kind of gets caught up with everything else, uh, irrespective of what the business model is. Coming up, biotech beatdown. It has been a rough year in the space. Our next guest says the group needs to, quote unquote, self-correct. What does that mean? A layout is top picks next when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Biotech continuing to slide lower. The XBI Biotech ETF falling more than 3% today. And for the year, it is now down close to 40%. Our next guest says the sector is saturated with unviable assets and a self-correction is in store. But he adds there are still a few bright spots. Let's bring in Oppenheimer healthcare equity strategist Jared Holes. Jared, good to see you. Um, you too. So self, self-correction sounds pretty rough. What, what do you mean by that, that the stock price has to continue to go lower or that some of these names will just be taken out in, in one way, shape or form? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's less about um, stock prices or, you know, consolidation um, by means of sort of traditional M&A. But, you know, I, I pulled up a sheet last week of 820 of these biotech companies, all the way from J&J to companies that have an enterprise value of you know, in the negative billions, and there are 500 or more companies with an enterprise value of $100 million or less. That's close to 60% of this entire category. Um, You know, you could almost just define as either non-investable or non-viable, depending on where these programs are. And so many of them started and then been been halted or stopped or the data has been presented and it hasn't been viewed positively by investors. We almost have to kind of go through this self-cleansing process in order for biotech to kind of redefine itself. And by that, I kind of mean we, we almost have to focus up cap and there isn't that much left up there. Um, so so when you did this screen, Jared, I'm presuming that a lot of that 60% um, of, of that cohort also does not make a profit. In other words, they don't have a product on the market or maybe they do and they don't make a profit on that product, product yet. Um, and so you, it sounds like there's gonna be a reckoning some of these names won't have access to capital markets anymore, and they will no longer cease to operate. They will cease to operate, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, we've totally already seen some of that reckoning. I mean, the, the XBI is a proxy for biotech down 60% since last year. Um, it, it seems to really not catch, you know, a, a continuous or, um, you know, anywhere near you know, a real bid in the market, despite, you know, what the S&P is doing on any particular day. So I think a lot of that has been absorbed. But yes, I think we're at the point where some of the companies have to sort of face the facts and they have to move on from either the program that they were starting with or, or move on from being a company at all. And I know so much has been talked about in terms of how much cash some of these companies are, you know, maybe giving some of that back to shareholders, um, having some of these assets merge with one another, in order to create less entities would be some sort of solution. Um, but we're, we're definitely not there yet. Tim's got a pairs trade. And so I wanted to, Tim, can you well, run it by Jared? I'm yeah, curious. Well, Jared, it, it, you know, and you listed a couple of the names that you like. And, you know, Vertex is the, one of the first names you put on there. The $68 billion company has a free cash flow yield of 4 or 5%, which isn't crazy, but it's relative to peers. And if I did a pairs trade of the IBB versus the XBI, and I was long the IBB, I'm up 30% since November. My sense is from your thesis, that trade continues to work. I think it could. Yeah, we, we discussed this back in the fall. I, re- I remember it pretty well. Um, in terms of the fact that large caps had started to sort of um, move higher. The biotech index had moved very consistently from the highs to the low, and it ended the year close to the lows, and it's been worse from then on. I think that's probably okay over the short term. Um, you know, we, There's a defensive bid in the market. I think that helps the IVB a little bit. And even a day like today, we saw some of these larger cap biotech stocks outperform. Many of them were actually up on the day when the XBI was down a couple bucks again. So I think that probably, you know, over the next few months, I wouldn't be surprised if that continued to happen. 
Jared, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. If one were interested in um, the IBB, I would think that you would need to think there'll be some consolidation, right? That the big cap needs to come in, or bigger cap, let's say, needs to come in to buy. Are there ones that you think are most likely to be taken out? It's so tough, Karen, to sort of pinpoint, you know, the next um, the next company to get taken out of the next company is what I, what I would say is, you know, when, when we look at, you know, the cross-section of large cap pharma companies, I think like the, the predominant factor that I believe determines whether investors are interested in owning the stock of a Pfizer or a J&J or a Merck, et cetera, is revenue growth and consistent revenue growth over a five to 10 year period. And kind of when we look at it that way, that would basically mean there would be, you know, 15 to 30 companies, call it, that would be acquirable, that would be material for revenue growth. So when I look at it that way, if that's correct, it would be, as Tim mentioned earlier, like a vertex, even though it is certainly not inexpensive and it's larger, but Vertex, uh, Neuroprint, Insight, Horizon, uh, CGen, I think these all kind of make sense. Valuation is probably the, the chief pushback. You know, we can go back and forth on, you know, each drug and how good they are, et cetera. But I think when you look from a, from a framework of what is large cap pharma looking for, or what would actually make a difference, it would be some of these larger cap biotechnics. Jared, good to see you. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you. Jared Holtz, Oppenheimer. Um, so, Steve Gross, I mean, I get we should make clear that IBB versus XBI, it's a planned market cap, right? So uh, X, uh, XBI weights smaller market caps and IBB are the large biotech companies. Yeah. And if you go, it's almost two to one. It's not quite there yet. But if you look at the if, if the IBB is turning and these large cap names are going to uh, garner a lot of investor attention, the first thing that investors do is look towards the beta. What's the outsized play? And that's the XBI. You want to look for these names because they're going to have outsized performance on the way up. But you want to look for cash-rich balance sheet companies on the smaller cap names. Would you put that pair straight on? I'll tell you what. If you look at that trade also and you removed Moderna from the IBB. So you know, I'm taking it back from November. Moderna was a $350 stock. It's now $145 stock right now. That trade does even better. Yeah, I like that trade still. Not because of the past history, because of where I think it can go in the future. Up next, final trades. Let's go around the horn. Steve. Amazon, I bought it because of the split. I think you're going to have strength going into the split and thereafter. Bonowin. VIX, I think uh, it's coming into a level where you should probably start putting on some protection. Tim. Emerging markets melt. EEM. Karen. Yes, Top Gun. Gigantic oh, numbers. You wow. know what that means. By the way, sell the news. Right so you got to short some of those paramount upside calls. The 37 and a half, so I'm going to sell those. See back here tomorrow. Mad Money starts right now. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.